It's a little bit irreverent. It's a lot irreverent. Uh, and it was very... Sorry, I just need a, a, a hymn book. I took all of them down the back earlier. Uh, Essential Preaching Tools hymn books. They prop the Bible up to just the right height. Uh, it was fascinating watching, actually, because we were all having a really good chuckle until he had that line about Christians. And then suddenly the room just went quiet. Now, it's a silly topic in this kind of format, and we laugh about it. It's like the best comedy. It's, it's funny if you kind of know that it's serious and real, and there's a little bit of an edge to it. And you're sitting there thinking, well, where is he about to go with it? How could you possibly know if you got it right? I mean, it's a laugh, isn't it? Atheist, you must be feeling a bunch of nitwits. <laughs> Christians, ooh. How would you know if you've got it right? If you truly did come to know the true and living God. There are something like four and a half thousand religions around the world. Last count, 4,300 or something, depending on how you count it. I mean, even if you just went with the, the top five, right? Let's just go with the ones that have the most population, right? There's still billions and billions of people who are adherents to Islam, to Buddhism, to Hinduism. Or perhaps we should just be agnostic. I mean, let's just sit on the fence and maybe you can know, maybe you can't. How are you ever going to work it out? After all, isn't religion just an accident of birth? I mean, you, you, wherever it is that you're born, whatever the people it is that you're born to, whatever the place and the time and the culture, and that's just going to dictate what your religion is, right? So how could you possibly know if you've got it right? If you are truly in fellowship with the living God, the one that we have seen over the last couple of weeks, raised Jesus from the dead as the eyewitnesses saw, the one who now offers forgiveness of sin through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, such that we might be in fellowship with him. How could you know? Now, I'm going to tell you the ending now. I'm going to give you the answer now. Um, it is possible to know. This isn't a sermon that's kind of one of those, I'm going to keep you hanging and then at the very end I'm going to reveal, ta-da! You can know. The point rather is to show how we can know. Now I take it this is going to be good for Christians. It's going to be good for you if you are somebody who does say that you are in fellowship with God, to be able to look at yourself, to be able to look at God and his word and honestly assess yourself. And I take it that it will be helpful for those who aren't Christian among us, for you to be able to, to get a glimpse, to be able to see a little bit of what the Christian life is about. See, knowing God produces a very specific change. It produces a very specific change in the life of an individual. And it makes sense, right? You think about any relationship, any relationship is going to change you. Uh, my, my other introduction that I, I didn't do is to find those pictures of owners with their dogs. You ever seen those? And they're like how the dogs and the owners just look identical. And so you've got like those, those dogs that are like a big towel and the owner is just look like this and then the tall skinny one with the Dalmatian. And Any, any relationship is going to make you become more and more like the other person. All the more so when we relate to the Lord God Almighty, the one who is all-powerful, and all knowing and all good and all loving, all the more so that it's going to transform us, bring about a new life. And if I can put it the most simply that I can, knowing God changes us such that we love what God loves and we hate what God hates.
There you go. That's what, that's what we're going to think about this morning as we read through 1 John. God, we love what God loves. We hate what God hates. Now, I'm going to pray and ask God that he would make this more than just an intellectual exercise, but that he would change our hearts as well. Would you pray with me? Father, please, we ask now as we spend some time in your word that you would change us, that you would change our hearts so that we would have confidence and surety for those who do know you and for those who don't and are still in darkness, that they would be drawn to you for forgiveness, for reconciliation, for fellowship in love. Amen. Now, uh, if, you, if you've got one of the little handouts on your way in, you should have an outline of where we're going there. And uh, you'll see I've got three main points as we love what God loves and hate what God hates. And the first thing is this, as we love what God's love, we learn to love God's word such that we obey him. We learn to love God's word such that we obey him. It's there in verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands, right? We know that we know. Can you know that you know God? Yes. How do you know that you know? Because you obey his commands. Or to put it negatively, verse 4, the man who says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. If, if you go around claiming, I know God, I'm in relationship with God, I'm in fellowship with God, I walk in the light, to use the language of the last couple of weeks, but you don't do what God says, then John calls you a liar and says the truth is not in you. In one sense, it's a simple test. Is my religion the true religion? Is it a true religion? Is it going to bring me close to the real God? A very simple test. Does the real God change you such that you become obedient to him? Verse 5, I think, is the key there as to how this happens. If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. That is, what God is doing in us isn't something that he just did once at a distance and then let us go. It's the difference between God doing something for us and God doing something in us. You can think of an act of love as just being something that you do for somebody else. I bought your flowers. There's a new florist opened down at our Ingleburn village. Haven't checked it out yet. Blokes, if you are, any of you buy flowers for your wives, let me know if they're any good. Write uh, an act of love. I bought you a... <laughs> that came out wrong, didn't it? I, I love you, wife. I'll get you flowers later. Right? That's how it should have been. Uh, this is an act of love, right? I, I do something for you. I'd like to I cook dinner. I'm going to take the kids out. You go and sleep for three hours, right? It's just, it's just, we often think of God's love being that way. Yes, Jesus died for your sins. The thing is done for you. Now on you go and do your own thing. But that's not how it works for God. God doesn't just do something for us, which he does, but he does something in us. His love reaches completion when our lives are transformed by it. God's love reaches completion when our lives are transformed by his love. It doesn't stop here outside of me, but it comes in and changes me. The, the, I love this picture in the Old Testament, actually, that, that, that gives us an example of this. The prophet Ezekiel, God shows him this valley full of bones, dead 
dried. And, and dead people, they can't obey God. Dead people, they can't love as God loves. Dead people can't even hear God's commands. You know why? Well, because they're dead, right? I mean, this is not a hard one. Dead people can't do anything. And that's the picture of those who walk in darkness. And God says to Ezekiel, what is needed is for these bones to be brought back to life again, to be transformed into living beings. And so he does. The bones come together and sinews and flesh attach and then God's breath comes into them such that alive they can now hear God's word and respond. That's the picture of us. When we were in darkness, we were just dead, dry bones. Do not hear God and do not respond to God. But the work that he does in Jesus to bring us to new life is a work that makes us alive to God, able to hear him and able to obey him. How do you know if you've got it right? Well, firstly, because you learn to love what God loves. You learn to love his word in such a way that you obey, in such a way that you live a life that is clearly being touched by God. A life full of the good works that God has prepared beforehand, the Bible says. Not just any good works. I mean, let's, let's be honest for a moment. Anyone can do good stuff. Right? That's, that's not just Christians. It's not, it's not just us who do good things. Right? You, you walk out the street and I, pretty much any person you bump into, doesn't matter how rotten they are, will do some good things. And a lot of people will do a lot of good things. Right? I, whatever it might be, volunteering at the animal shelter or... Um, Handing out how to vote cards or cooking sausages for us all. Cooking us democracy sausages, right? I mean, what a good work that one is. Uh, helping little old ladies cross the street. Whatever it, might, whatever it might be, right? Everyone does some good things. Christians do, Christians do specifically Christian good works. You ever thought about that? What are uniquely Christian good works? I mean, have a look at verse 6, right? This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did, must be like Christ, Christian. Jesus works. What are they? I mean, if you had to summarize the, the Jesus' life, Jesus' work, walking as Jesus walked, what would you come up with? There's all sorts of different things you might want to throw in there, right? The, you, you, uh, you've got to be nice to people. You've got to, be, you've got to be good and kind and loving. Although, to be honest, I think if you're suggesting that walking like Jesus walked is to be nice to people, you probably haven't read the gospel, I'll be honest, because I don't think Jesus was particularly nice to people at all. What does it mean to walk as Jesus walked? To be kind, to be caring, to be compassionate? To wear sandals with your socks still on? Uh, to, to Kathmandu branded clothing? I don't, what is it to walk like Jesus? Do you remember those bracelets? Right? What would Jesus do? Remember that? Right? Just about the only thing Jesus wouldn't do was wear one of those braces. I'm pretty, bracelet, pretty sure. <laughs> no, do you, do you know, here's a summary of what Jesus, how Jesus walked. Out of obedience to the Father, he lived, died and rose again to save others. That's what Jesus did. That's what it means to walk as Jesus walked. Those are Christian good works. To live in such a way that you are committed and dedicated to the salvation of others. Paul said to Timothy, one of these Bible writers, he said, this is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to 
save sinners. That's how Christ walked. Or as Paul looks at Jesus' life and thinks of what he will do, he writes this in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks or the church of God. Try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, that they may be saved. And he finishes with this little sentence, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. To walk in Jesus' footsteps is to do whatever it takes for the good of others that they may be saved. It's why we as a church are so committed to evangelism. The the, the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. We're committed to local evangelism, to to reaching out into our suburbs, the areas around us, where we work, where we live, where we do church, to share the gospel. It's why we're committed to world evangelism. We we send missionaries to the ends of the earth. We fund them, we pray for them, we love them and care for them. It's why we're committed to personal evangelism. Each one of us praying for opportunities, looking for chances to have conversations about Jesus, taking them and speaking whenever we have the opportunity. How do you know if you got it right? Because the love for God's word moves you to obedience such that you live as Jesus lived, dedicated, wholeheartedly, single-mindedly in all that you do and are. To the salvation of others. This is not a new command. I mean, this is, this is the old command. This is the same message that it's always been. This was what God had always set out for his people. To be those who loved God and who loved their neighbour. I mean, Jesus summarizes the entire Old Testament law as those two commands. Love God and love your neighbor. It's not a new command. And yet it also is a new command, as John points out in verse 8. Right? I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. It was a new command. Jesus said to his disciples the night before he was betrayed. A new command I give you. That you love one another. By this will the world know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It shines out into the darkness. It's the same message God always intended for his people. Love God and love others. Here it is for us. See, this is the second thing that we learn to love as God loves, and that is God's people. We love God's word such that we obey. We live as Jesus did. We love God's people. Have a look at verse 9. He starts out with the negative again. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. You get the negative? If you claim to be in the light, if you claim to be in fellowship with God, if you claim to have a relationship with the one who is love and who forgives sin and yet you hate your brother, then you yourself are still in darkness. Rather, verse 10, as he puts it positively, whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him. 
to make him stumble. See, if God loves and forgives, how can we hate and bear a grudge and withhold forgiveness? It's like the Lord's Prayer. We don't do it all that often at 10 o'clock, but we do it semi-regularly, right? And you know the line, you, you may well know it off by heart. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Wow. That's heavy. I'll tell you, it hurts actually in, in, our, in our society, in our culture, in our day and age. It hurts to be called homophobic, to be called a bigot, to be called someone who, who, who produce, speaks hate speech. I mean, if you follow Israel Folau stuff, and I mentioned it last week, but right, they talk about how he's, he's hating on people for, for speaking the way he speaks. Well, see, I. I see myself as the opposite of that. I see myself as somebody who wants good for others. I don't hate them. I want salvation for them. Now, we might disagree on what's good. We might disagree on what salvation means. But I certainly don't hate them. In fact, the opposite. Love. No, hate is of the darkness. Certainly of the brothers, certainly of those who belong to God. But in fact, if you remember what Jesus said, here I think is the stark difference between Christian love and non-Christian love. It's possible for people who aren't Christian to love. I'm not saying that if you aren't a Christian, it's impossible for you to love. People who are in darkness still can love, usually, usually love their spouse. I, mean, I know there's exceptions, but right, you love your spouse, you love your children, love your family, love your close friends, love your parents. The difference is that when Jesus taught his followers to love, do you remember who he told them to love? He said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. I tell you, love your enemies. I mean, all of us love those who are ours. All of us love our own little tribe and our own little clan, but it is God's unique love that loves those who purposefully and continually wrong me. That is an unusual love. That is not a natural love. That does not flow from within here. It flows from God. To set out to forgive and to care for and to seek good for the person who has wronged me. Who is my enemy? Why? Because that's how Jesus loved. He set out to die for those who would murder him and were in rebellion against his father. It plays out. Actually, I think if you, if you look at the world, I mean, you, aid organizations, so many of the, the really big ones are Christian. It plays out in individual charitable giving and time of money, uh, of that kind of involvement. It's so often Christians. It plays out, you see it in areas like adoption. So many adoption agencies and individuals who adopt are Christians. It plays out in hospitality to strangers. As Christians reach out to those who otherwise really have nothing to do with and show love to them. There was a statistic, it's an old statistic now, I haven't been able to find a modern equivalent. I did some searching for a while and I couldn't find it, but kind of the late 90s, 
it was estimated that the average Australian would have roughly nine people into their home in a year. But that's not quite true of Christians, is it? You just think for a moment of our circles and our networks and our connection to one another and the way we show love, not only just to the brothers, not only to each other, but to complete and utter strangers. Come, join, be loved. How is it that you're going to know if you got it right? Because God's going to change you that you would love what he loves. You're going to love his word such that you obey And you live like Jesus did, dedicated to the lost. And you're going to love people. Certainly the brothers and sisters. Certainly those who are God's people with you. But even beyond that, as Jesus taught us, out into the world. Now, it may be that at this point you're feeling a little bit beaten up. A little bit guilty, perhaps. A little bit uncertain. A little bit unsure. And I wonder if that's not why John has this little poem in there. Um, I don't quite know what to do with it, to be honest. Uh, we were sitting at staff meeting on Monday and, uh, and we were talking about whose turn it is to preach this week and Joe had a little bit of a chuckle when he realised that it's my turn because he said, ah, oh, you get the weird bit about the children and the fathers. Thank you, Joseph. You're very kind. I love you. Yeah, I love you too, brother. Love your enemies, love your enemies, love your enemies. This is a word of encouragement. It's a word to remind us who we are. Just, just for a moment, in case you're feeling weighed down by this. Listen to who he says, I write to you, dear children, verse 12, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Just remember who we are, those who walk in the light. Those who have been forgiven through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, purified of all sin, cleansed, washed clean, defended now by Jesus himself in heaven. Transformed now by his love to love like him. How would you know if you got it right? Well, I've got one last measure for us. We love what God loves. But we also hate what God hates. We hate the things of this world. Have a look at verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's easy to think that there's a middle ground. It's easy to think that you can have a foot in both camps. You can be like, yep, I'm going to do the God stuff. I'm just going to do the world stuff as well on the side. Is that okay? Thank you very much. No one needs to know about it, right? I'm going to come to church on Sundays, and that's brilliant. I'll put on my happy Christian face. We'll do all the Christian stuff. I'll sing. I'll clap. I'll wave. We'll pray. We'll do the Lord's Prayer. I'll take communion. I'll even go to Bible study during the week. It's fantastic. But then the rest of the time, do you mind if I just do a bit of the world stuff on the side? Is that okay? I really like it. It's really nice. I kind of love it too. But you can't. 
See, for everything in the world, verse 16, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The love that God gives us is love for his word and his commands that we obey him and live his way. Is love for people that we desperately seek their salvation. It is not love for the things of the world. The cravings of sinful man. Sounds rather depraved, doesn't it? The cravings of sinful man. It sounds like kind of the, just the worst, dark, mucky stuff. But it just means the things that I want. That's all it means. By nature, I am a sinful man. The cravings of sinful man, the things that this natural heart wants. The lust of the eyes. There's so much around us to lust after. The hot body, the dreamy eyes. Maybe it's just a stable relationship. That'll do you. The financial windfall, the next travel destination, whatever it might be. Our eyes love lusting after things. The boasting of what he has and does. You heard that term affluenza? It's the, uh, it's, it's a word someone made up, right? But uh, it's a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, death, anxiety and haste resulting from a dogged pursuit of more. very opposite of God isn't it and it's so foolish have a look again at verse 17 the world and its desires pass away it's such a dumb thing to be concerned for to be lusting after when we get to heaven we won't want the silly toys and the sinful pleasures of this world they won't be there they won't exist they're just this they're like little plastic toys Little rubbishy things. We have so many of them in my house. I don't know where they come from. They Actually, I do know. Uh, uh, sorry, not her. I'm just remembering the story. I, I, that's my wife over there. Uh, uh, Dwayne was at the shops earlier this week, and a very kind and helpful lady purchased two of my children a little Kinder Easter, little surprise, little Kinder Surprise chocolate eggs. That was very kind of her. Thank you very much for giving my children chocolate and sugar to get them hyper with a little rubbish plastic toy in it that's going to break within the half hour that it'll take for the sugar high to come down. So they're going to crash off the bottom of the sugar high and lose it because their toy broke, right? It's like we're chasing after Kinder Surprises. Why? They are so dumb. They really are. Not quite as dumb as the fact that they're illegal in the US. Anyway, that's completely by the by. You can buy assault weapons in the supermarket, but not Kinder Surprise eggs. <laughs> they're dangerous. They're really dangerous, okay? We're just chasing after little breakable plastic things. It's foolish. No, the one who does the will of God lives forever. How would you know? Well, you love what God loves. His word, such that you obey it, living as Christ for those who are lost. You hate what God hates. You hate the world, the things of the world. They are passing. They are fleeting. They ought not to be. 
I want to finish with a word about confidence and a word about anxiety. Is it possible to know that you know the true and living God? Yes. Yes, it is. You'll see it in your life. You cannot be in a relationship with God without being transformed. You're going to see yourself loving things that you wouldn't naturally love. You're going to find yourself wanting to obey God. Whereas naturally we are the opposite and we are rebels. You're going to find yourself wanting to live as Jesus did, desperate for the salvation of the lost, doing whatever it takes, loving people, certainly the brothers, but even the enemies. You're going to find yourself hating what God hates, the world and everything from it. And you know what? I know many of us that are like that. I know people, I mean, we fail, okay? I'm not saying that Christians are perfect. Remember last week, Christians aren't sinless, Christians are forgiven. Okay, I'm not saying that you guys and me, we're like, yes, got it, woo, happy days, never make it wrong, right? No, when we fail, there is forgiveness. But even in the midst of that, it is a growth, a trajectory of seeing God's love in us. I see it in people all the time. Be encouraged, be strengthened. I said in myself, I am confident because I am not me, if, if, if that makes any sense at all. I am not the person that I would be if what was in here just came out. I am who I am because God is at work, not me. Now we're not there yet, that's why we look forward to heaven, because we will be there then. But you might be sitting there thinking, I'm not confident. In fact, I'm feeling rather anxious right now. Because what if I don't love as God loves? What if I really don't want to obey him? What if I'm not concerned for the lost? What if I just love the world? All day, every day. What if you recognize that you are still in darkness and do not know the true and living God? Now, I, I don't intend this message to destroy you. I don't intend it as a, as a heavy weight and a burden to place on you. Come to the light. That's the whole point of this. Come to God who forgives, who has done what is needed. Confess before him. Step into the light and the truth that we saw from last week. Seek forgiveness that you might experience yourself the beginning of God's love. Not the end of it. It's not the end point to be forgiven. That's the beginning of the transformation that he will bring about in you. Such that his love will flow through you and out into others. Do you love what God loves? Do you hate what he hates? Such that he is seen in you. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word and uh, for the way in which you teach us how we can have confidence. That you show us that there is a way to know that we truly have come to know you, the living God. This is brought about as we are transformed to be like you. Father, for those who are burdened and anxious, for those who are uncertain, please would you bring him into the light to seek forgiveness where it's necessary, to seek the transformation that you bring, dead bones brought to life, 
that we might hear you and love you and obey you. Father, fill us with the same passion for the loss that the Lord Jesus had, prepared to die. And Father, please remove from us this world and the things of it, the little plastic rubbish that we so love. And we ask this because we want you to be glorified as your character is displayed in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.